Keep your Bibles open to Mark chapter 4. And we have a good number of visitors with us here this morning, so that's great to see some new faces. If you uh, come into the service here and you're a regular and uh, you see people looking for seats on Sunday morning, would you just scoot over sometimes for them to be able to find a seat, invite them? And then also after the service, let's make sure we, we greet the new people that we don't know, okay? And you might find out they've actually been coming here for a while. So <laughs> Mark chapter 4. Well, when we lived in South Carolina, we had a house with a nice backyard and, you know, good fences make good neighbors. So we decided to build a fence because our neighbor's house was right next door to ours. And so we thought maybe that would kind of help us have some privacy. And uh, his yard sloped a little bit and he decided to put a pool in. When that happened, then he could see right into our yard. So then we decided that we were going to put some uh, Leland cypresses in our yard. We're going to put about, what, 12 of those back there? So we, you know, went to the nursery and to a really good one in town and got some Leland cypresses, little trees like this tall, and we planted them and followed all the instructions, you know, of course, read on the internet. Okay, we'll go like this until you get me back on. Here we go. And uh, where was I at with my story? Okay, we we got some trees, and uh, so we planted them and did everything you're supposed to do, water them and all that. Well, after a couple days, they started turning yellow. And then a couple of weeks went by and they were completely dead. All of them, all 12 trees, completely dead. Well, they had a return policy. So we dug them up, brought them back and uh, they gave us a new uh, tree that we could, new trees. And so we planted those again. And would you believe the same thing started to happen? And what we found is that we actually had some soil that was bad soil. Our house was the last one built in our neighborhood. So you know what they did with our plot? All the junk went there, right? So sometimes when you dig up things in the yard, I'm like, what's a two-by-four doing in our yard, you know? Our soil was bad soil. In our passage today, we're going to study the story Jesus told of four different types of soils. And each soil helps us to understand the conditions of a person's heart. So Mark chapter number four. Last week, we studied in Mark chapter three. The passage where Jesus went to the mountain and he prayed, remember, and then he came down while well, he pointed to 12 apostles and he came down and he began to preach the good news. And right when he came down, he was opposed by his own family and he was opposed by the religious leaders. And they started spreading lies about him. The religious leaders did. And imagine how the disciples must have thought about all this, right? They were just appointed to come down to preach the gospel Shouldn't the people listening to Jesus accept him? And how confusing it might have been for them to, to, not, to not understand. Why wouldn't his family celebrate him? Why would not the Jewish leaders support a rabbi who's teaching scripture and fulfilling Old Testament prophecy? I mean, think about it. Jesus is God, right? When he preaches the word, shouldn't the whole world follow him? Well, Jesus answered that question there in chapter 4. In fact, Matthew chapter 13 is a parallel passage. And that passage tells us that Matthew 4 happened on the same day as the end of Matthew 3. In other words, Matthew or Mark 3. So Mark 
4 happened on the same day as Mark 3. So Mark chapter 4, the teaching there of Jesus, is a response to the opposition in Mark chapter 3. So why would people respond to God's word like these Pharisees and like these religious leaders? Why would his family not at this point accept him as the Messiah? Well, Mark chapter 1, remember we studied this a couple weeks ago. Here we go. Mark chapter 1 in verses 14 and 15 says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So remember, Jesus was going around and he was preaching the gospel, which was what? Repent. Turn from your own way. Turn from your selfish, self-centered lifestyle, from your idea of what your approach to God is, and turn to me. I'm the Messiah. I'm the King. I'm God. Turn to me, and you can be saved from your sins. And the shocking reality here is many people followed him, right, and heard his preaching, but few people actually genuinely repented and believed in Jesus. So how is that possible? Well, Mark 4, 1 through 20 gives us the answer, and the answer essentially is this. It's because of the condition of their hearts. And by the heart, we're talking about that inner person, that, that where your, your will and your desires and your thoughts reside. And so Jesus teaches in this passage that people respond differently to God's word because of the condition of their heart. So Jesus goes through four different heart conditions in Mark chapter 4 here. As we work through this passage, I'm going to ask a request of you. Would you right now, when I'm about to go to prayer, would you ask God to show you which one of these hearts is your condition? Ask God to God, say, God, please show me what is my heart truly like, right? I, I read for the service here, at the beginning of the service here, a passage that said, we're to pray, search me, O God, right? Know my heart. So I'm going to ha- ask us to bow our heads right now and just in your own heart, ask God, God, Speak to me through your word. God, reveal to me what type of heart I have. God, I do pray that your spirit will take truth and reveal the thoughts of men and women. God, I pray you'll open up spiritual eyes this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, everyone likes a good story, right? Before my kids go to bed at night, many times they'll ask me, Daddy, can you tell me a story? And Jesus knew this. And so Jesus, when he taught, many times he taught in stories. We call them parables. And next week we're going to talk about the purpose of parables. But this week we're just going to go through his first parable here in Mark chapter 4. It's the parable of the sower. Or actually, I like to say it's the parable of the seed and the soil, right? Because that's what he's talking about, the different soils here. And in Mark chapter 1, Jesus exits Capernaum and he comes down by the Sea of Galilee. I don't know what's going on here, guys, with the thing, but again, we're having some problems up here with that. So maybe you just get to follow along with me. And he exits uh, Capernaum in Mark chapter 4, verse 1. So look at Mark chapter 4, verse 1. And it says, again, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him. So he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. The whole crowd gathered, 
beside the sea on the land. To the south of Capernaum, there's a bay. Now it's nicknamed the Bay of Parables. And this was probably the location where Jesus stood on the boat and taught the crowds. In fact, some people have tested this area and found out that you can actually speak, if you uh, are on the shore there, you can speak to thousands of people that can hear you. It's a natural amphitheater right there. So picture on that shore up there, thousands of people sitting and standing, listening to Jesus teach offshore in a fishing boat. And in this crowd, you think about it, there would have been the religious leaders, right? You can imagine them grumbling in the background, like, oh, there's Jesus, you know? His family would probably have stood back there and listened to them. So those who were opposing him stood and listened. There was many just listening. And Jesus taught these people about the conditions of their hearts. And he taught, when you hear God's word, your response is dependent upon the soil of your heart. Verse 2, look at verse 2 of Mark 4. It says, when he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, listen... So he goes into the story, behold, a sower went out to sow. Now think about this, and Galilee was a very fertile area. So probably many of those people were farmers, or at least they were very familiar with farming, right? In fact, their calendar, their society revolved around the harvesting, right? the planting and harvesting season. So here's an agricultural story that connects automatically with these people. And so verse 4 goes through this story. And he says, this sower, as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30 fold and 60 fold and 100 fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In verse 10, and when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked about the parables. And we're not going to go through verses 11 and 12. We're actually talk about that next week. I think you'll find that fascinating, by the way. But the disciples didn't completely understand the point of this story, did they? And so Jesus then goes and begins to explain to them what are the soils, what are what are what is the the seed that's being spread. And so in verse 13, Jesus says, Do you not understand this parable? How will you then understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. So the sower is Jesus, and he's sowing God's word. And verse 15 says, And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. Jesus is the word of God, right? John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, And so he is actually called the word. He preached the word. Look at verse 12. That's a quotation of, from, the, um, from the Old Testament. And so he preached the word. In fact, if you look in verse 3, this is very interesting. He begins the story by saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. Notice those two English words. It's one Greek word, but went out to sow. That actually is the same root word that he used back to begin his Galilean ministry. Look down and look back in Galatians, or, uh, sorry, Mark chapter 1, verse 38. And this is when he began his Galilean ministry. And he said to them, his disciples, let's go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for this is why I 
came out. It's actually the same Greek root word. So he's kind of doing a play on words here. In other words, he's saying, I'm the preacher, right? I'm sowing the word to you in your hearts. And so Jesus, in verse 15, says he's sowing the word. And where is it sowing at? It's in within them, the word that is sown within them. So these are, we're talking about the inner person here. I'm going to play a little video up here. I think that will help you kind of get a picture of this. I think it's good for us to imagine this. Jesus explained that the word of God is, when it's preached, it's like a seed that is thrown on soil. And the seed is... Uh, The seed is what produces life and fruit. And when a seed goes into the soil, that seed germinates and sprouts roots and a stem. The roots burrow down into the soil and the stem rises up. And over time, if the conditions are right, the the roots will go down deep and spread wide. And the, the stem will grow leaves and produce fruit. And you could say it this way, the seed. Okay, let's go ahead and start that, guys. I don't, we're having some technical difficulties, but there you go. You can see it going. The seed produces life in the soil. And the purpose of the seed is so that a plant can, can grow and develop, right? And then, in the end, bear fruit. And the seed will and can produce life if the soil is rich in nutrients. And so if you're a farmer guy, right, then you know it needs it needs nitrogen and phosphorus and potassium, and I looked all that up. That's how I knew that, because so, I'm not that. I'm from Indiana. You'd think I'd know that kind of thing. It needs light, and it needs water and room to grow. And if it has those things, it will produce life and fruit. And this, this explanation is actually a great, a wonderful illustration, analogy of life. Because your heart, your inner person, is like soil, and it lacks life. It lacks spiritual life. And you need God to give you spiritual life. God created you with a soul, with an inner person that desires a fruitful, purposeful life. And you might long for that. You might lay in your bed at night and think, I really want to know what life is about. Like, I feel so empty. Well, God created you with a soil-like heart that needs the word of God to come in and give you life. So just like a heart longs for life, soil longs for a seed to provide life and fruit. So where does that life in your soul, where does it come from? Well, it comes from the word of God. Look at John chapter 6 on the screen up here. John 6, 63 says, it is the spirit who gives life. So where does life come from? I mean, if you want that life in your soul, you want fulfillment in your soul, where does it come from? It comes from the Spirit of God. God has to do a work within you. The flesh is no help at all. In other words, you can't just generate in your own heart spiritual life. Like the soil can't produce life on its own. It needs a seed to go into it. So how is spiritual life given? The words of God, he says, the words of God that I've spoken to you, this is Jesus, are spirit in life. But there are some who do not believe. So Jesus is speaking to some of his disciples that are following him, not the 12, but the greater crowd. And he's saying, some of you, I've been speaking God's word, but you're not believing it, right? That's why you don't have life. That's why you don't have spirit. And so after this, the Bible says in John Chapter 6, verse 66, that many of his disciples turned back and were no longer walking with him. And so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? 
And Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of what? Life. You have the words of life. In other words, the Lord, through the word of God, gives life, gives life to your soul. So how can you have spiritual life? How can God plant the seed of God's word in your heart so that you can have spiritual life? Well, actually, spiritual life depends also upon the condition of your heart, right? If you have a hard heart, if you resist God's word, you resist God's work, then you won't have spiritual life. So let's go through these four different heart conditions, the conditions of those who hear God's word. Number one, Jesus presents the hard heart. Look down in verse 14. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. The condition of the heart in verse 15 is that of a hard heart. The soil here is a, is a picture of path soil or, or dense, worn soil where the seed cannot go down and penetrate the soil. And so the seed just stays on the top and then the birds come and they take it away. And the, the picture here is that, that your heart is hard and so Satan comes and takes away the word that is sown in your heart. This is a picture of a person who hears God's word but just doesn't care. It's a person who hears the scripture, but they're indifferent, right? The seed of God's word has no hope to give them spiritual life because they've rejected God. They're stubborn to God's ways. It's a person who, who rejects God's word without any really serious open-mindedness that God's word is truth. It's the kind of person that maybe you've heard someone say something like this. Like, ah, oh, the Bible is just a bunch of fairy tales, Right? And so they automatically just dismiss the truth of God's word by saying, well, it's just I'm labeling it as a book that is all made up. Or maybe someone has an initial bias against God's word and against Christians, and they say, well, they just use God's word as a crutch, right? A spiritual crutch. In our modern vernacular, we might describe it like this. We might say someone has a heart that's atheistic, right? In other words, they say, there's no God. Or maybe they have a heart that's um, agnostic, which is why you can't even know, so who, who cares about even trying to pursue that? Or maybe they have a heart that's apathetic, and apathetic is the idea that they don't even care. They just don't care. Like, we don't care. And all those are kind of similar in that they have hearts that are just pursuing their own way. Like, they're very self-centered. If you think about it, that was actually the heart of these religious leaders, wasn't it? I mean, here you have religious leaders who are stuck in their way. They have their religious system and their traditions. And Jesus goes in the synagogue. He preaches the scriptures. And he says, today the scriptures are fulfilled in me. Right? And they're like, blasphemer. They don't go to the scriptures and go, well, I I should probably consider that. What does God's word actually say? And even in a church setting like this, it's possible that you might be in here. Maybe you have that type of heart. Maybe you've grown up in a certain religious system. You've thought, this is how it is your whole life. And so someone says, well, this is what God's word teaches. And you go, oh, that's not how I think. Nope, that's not even true. I'm just going to push that out. And you haven't even considered to say, you know what? Maybe I should actually go and consider what does God's word actually say. So first is the hard heart. And second, we have the shallow heart. Verse 16 says in there, are the ones sown on rocky ground. And verse 16 goes on to say, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. The picture of shallow 
heart, a shallow heart is one where the, the seed falls on the soil, but the soil is only a thin layer on top of a rock. And so the seed goes into the soil and it does germinate and it sprouts, but the roots can't go deep. So the, so the sun rises and the hot sun dries up the ground and the plant is scorched. Therefore, the soil causes the seed or the plant to die. So it can't grow up and it can't produce fruit, which is the whole purpose of the seed, right? To give life and to give fruit. And Jesus used this picture of shallow soil to teach that there are people who receive the word and they they seem to have spiritual life. It seems like it springs up and like, oh, that's a person who has has received the word and done something with it. And actually, if you look down in verse 16, it says they respond with joy, right? They're the person that's like, praise Jesus, right? Amen, brother. And so you think, oh, that, that person, they're really a Christian, right? But then life happens. Verse 16, verse 17 and 18, it says that there's trials and there's persecutions. The idea of trials, there's, there's difficult times. Persecutions, the idea that, that because they follow Christ, they're opposed. And when the Christian life is fluffy and easy, they say, oh, I follow Christ, right? And then when it's difficult, they go, well, I don't know about this. Maybe this isn't the way for me. Across the world today, our totalitarian governments cracking down on Christians. We could go through a list of them. One of those, though, this past year especially was China. 2018, thousands and thousands of people of different religious backgrounds, Muslims, Christians, and other different religions as well, um, were imprisoned for their faith. There are many Christians in China who are under the threat of being locked up for their faith in Christ. One of those is a pastor of the church, Early Rain. You might have heard of this. December 2nd, Pastor Wong was, was uh, in 100 members, were arrested. And actually, I read this last night. This was a post they posted on Sunday, which was last night for us. So going into their church services, someone put up this and kind of got out there so we could see it. And you can go to the next slide there and see it. There it is right there. This person said, I'm going to pack socks and underwear. Don't really know why they put that in there. Must be a cultural thing. But anyways, put on warm shoes, put on a down coat, delete everything from my phone, turn it off, then go to the Lord's Day worship. I will bring a printed Bible and take my notes by hand. These are the worst of times, Lord. But they're the best of times. The only question left is, should I prepare dress clothes or jail clothes? And you think about it. Here's a pastor. There's many members over there right now who are sitting in prison because of their faith. Right? And for many of them, if they just recant and they go ahead and go along with a party line, right? They don't have these problems. I read about this as well. On January 11th, this report came out. One Christian man of this church was confirmed to be severely tortured over a 48-hour period, nonstop, in Chengdu on January 1st and 2nd. The PSB chained and bound him in a tiger chair for 24 hours straight with no food, no water, no sleep, no rest. Next 24 hours, they brought in his wife and his baby to watch him be interrogated. So, like, that is what people... 
around the world are facing, who are facing persecution. Many Christians stand firm. They keep bearing the fruits of repentance and faith in Christ, but some recant, right, so they can stay out of prison. I guess it's always in situations like this, you've got to ask yourself, like, if that was me, what would I do, right? I mean, think about it. If, if the police came here today and we were in one of those type of countries, and praise God we're not, right? But if we were one of those kind of countries, what would you do? And persecution and trials test the genuineness of our faith in God and the true condition of our hearts. And I think in America, we have many people in America who just have shallow hearts, right? They profess to be Christians, but their faith isn't very deep and they don't have any fruit. And we have Christians, are people who claim to be Christians in America, right? They want Jesus because they want a free trip to heaven. Maybe they're hoping Jesus will get them a better job. Or maybe they're hoping that Jesus will give them a lot of money, right? And there's people on TV that sit in gold chairs and have big hair. You know what I'm talking about? And they say, put your hand on the screen or give us money and Jesus will give you a lot of stuff, right? That's wrong. That's called the prosperity gospel. But those people have shallow hearts. They're they're shallow-hearted preachers preaching to people with shallow hearts, right? I think sometimes as well, Young people can grow up in Christian homes, and they can, they can grow up with shallow hearts, right? I mean, they claim the title of Christian because they grew up that way. And, and with, be honest, like if you grew up a certain way, you're probably going to claim that, right? But then when they go off to college or become an adult, maybe their professor mocks the Bible, right? And they start thinking, ah, maybe do I really believe that? Or maybe their buddies live a a lust-driven lifestyle, and they think, I actually, it looks more enjoyable to do that. And they may come home and smile and play the, the, the Jesus game where they say, oh, yeah, mom and dad, I'm, I'm a Christian too. But like behind the scenes, or maybe even they do it openly, they say, no, I'm not. That's not for me anymore. I can think of so many uh, youth that I grew up with and then many youth I've ministered to over the years, and that's what's happened, right? They grow up and they leave the church, and their heart is revealed when the scorching sun of problems came or sin comes into their, to be available to them, to be able to live how they want to, and it reveals their heart was shallow and their, their repentance and their faith was not real. And when it's popular and convenient or maybe expected to profess Christ, they did, but then the realities of the world exposed their heart. And, and like the seed uh, of the word went into the dirt of their heart in childhood, and that's great, right? And something sprang up. It kind of looked like spiritual life, but the, the fruit of the plant never came, the fruit of repentance and faith. In fact, I might be speaking to someone in here, and maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're in that situation, or maybe you know someone. You know, I think we all kind of do know people in those situations, right, that grew up in that, with that kind of thinking. And what happened? Like, how do you make sense of that? Well, Jesus makes sense of it right here. He says they had a shallow heart. Like, life revealed the, the true, fruitless, unspiritual heart that they had. That their heart was truly never repentant and believing. I think, like, times like this, when you have young children, or if you're a grandparent and you are uh, helping minister to some of, your, some of your grandchildren, you start thinking about stuff like this. Like, what is it going to be like for my kids when they grow up? And I think it's good for us to start thinking through... When you have young children thinking through some of this stuff, you know, I think it's good for us to remember as parents and as grandparents that 
that having our kids go to church or just having knowledge or memorizing scripture doesn't make them a child of God, right? It doesn't guarantee success, spiritual success in the future. It's for by grace we're saved through faith, right? I think about how Paul told of Timothy. He says, from childhood you knew the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise. You can understand the scriptures. And it's through faith. And at the end of the day, he had to make his own decision of faith, right, in Jesus. So as parents and as grandparents, I think we have to remember it's, it's our job to cultivate a heart within our children that is tender with repentance and with faith, right? That's why, I think it's why Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 says, don't provoke your kids to wrath, but to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I mean, sometimes when we respond to our children or grandparents, when you respond to your children, we can just like pound their heart, right? We can just respond in such negative ways that it hardens their heart instead of cultivating a heart of repentance. Sometimes how we respond to the sin of our children, whether it be a parent or a grandparent, sometimes can actually support this kind of shallow thinking, this shallow heartedness, right? I mean, your kids are fighting right there. And it's what's easy to do is say, stop it, right? Stop fighting. And then to walk away and hopefully they stop fighting, right? Please love each other. Be kind, you're right? Appreciate the life that we've given you. And I think the thing is, like, if it ends right there, obviously you've got to stop kids beating each other up, right? But if it ends right there, that's just moralistic parenting or moralistic grandparenting, if you're doing that, right? And the answer to sin is not stop and do better next time, right? That's not the answer to sin. And so to cultivate a heart of repentance and faith in our kids, we have to help them to understand how does God think about their sin? Like, what did Jesus do about their sin? And, and keeping that before them. In fact, not just for children, it's for all of us, right? I mean, we have to ask ourselves questions when we're dealing with our own sin. Am I living a repentant life, right? Do, do you see your sin? Do you feel bad about it? I don't know how many times, like, I'm asking that question to my kids. Do you see the sin? Do you see how, how bad that is? How does it make you feel, Right? I mean, help them to understand, help our, ourselves to understand the seriousness of our sin and, and how it affects us. But also that Jesus is our rescue. I mean, are you believing that he is the one that can rescue you? He's the, he's the redeemer. What is your response to that? In fact, when, you know, we're talking about when, when life is easy, it's easy to be a Christian, right? I mean, when your marriage is, is good, like you are having fun, like in other words, before you got married? no. But when it's easy, you know, when everyone's engaged, it's like, oh, this is going to be so much fun. We're going to have, you know, it's, it's easy to be a Christian, right? But then when you're having a big old knockdown, drag out fight, that's the test right there. If you have a shallow heart or not, right? Because what do you do in response to your sin or the sin of someone else against you? Right? And a, and a shallow hearted person will yell and scream and be hard-hearted about it and won't care. And it's like, I am not going to do anything until that person comes, talks to me. Right? I have a right to be bitter and hold it against that person because they sinned against me. I don't care if I yelled and screamed at them. But, right? but a true believer actually will have a heart that responds in repentance and faith. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means at some point you'll come back and you'll come to the place where you... Come to Christ and you confess, God, I'm, I'm wrong. I was wrong. Like, I, I sinned against you, God. Thank you for the forgiveness found in Jesus. And you go to that person and you say, I was wrong. 
like, please forgive me. And, and that's the, the genuine heart that has a heart that's for God. But a shallow-hearted person will just persist in their own sin and will just shed all fruit of Christianity when life gets difficult. The next heart condition is the distracted heart. Now, if you've been on the internet on your phone this whole time, you might want to put it away because you might have a distracted heart. Okay? Verse 18 says, And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for things, enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. The picture here Jesus gives of of a seed that lands on soil, and it's actually receptive to the word. It actually responds well to the word, and on the outside, it looks like it has spiritual life. It germinates, it grows, but there's actually no fruit. And why is the soil here not producing life and fruit? And it's because the soil allows weeds and thistles to grow in the same soil. So the, so the weeds and the thorns steal the nutrients and choke the life of the seed. And the soil with thorns or weeds here is a picture of a distracted heart. It's a heart that, that lusts and desires temporal things. It's a heart that pretends to repent, so externally it looks like it repents, but genuinely, inwardly is still following the lusts of their own heart. Notice the distracted word, the distracted heart. Look in verse 19, what they're distracted by. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for things. In the New Testament, I think Judas is a good example of this heart right here, right? I mean, throughout his ministry with Jesus, here's a guy externally, looks like the plant that grows up. I mean, he looks like for three years that he's true, truly a disciple of the Lord. But John chapter 12, and you can see this on the screen, John 12, 6, said that even though he pretended to care about the poor, he said this, he said those things, not because he cared about the poor, but because Judas was a thief, having charged the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was put in it. So here's a guy who has allowed the thorns and the thistles of a love for things and money to grow up around his heart, right? So think about this. Judas, probably more than anyone else in this whole, that's ever lived, heard the words of God more than any other unbeliever, right? But... The word, the, the, but the thistles of desires and lust choked out the word. Judas was a money addict. You might say that. He could not see beyond immediate gratification. And like in other, other addicts, he sought joy and fulfillment in that thing. It's like, give me the next coin. Give me the next thing. I need that. And, and like all addicts, he enjoyed it when he got it for the moment and then it went away. It was temporal. I mean, think about that for Judas. I mean, he's, he, he wants money. He wants things, right? And at some point, he thought to himself, oh, this guy, Jesus, is worth probably a lot of money. I mean, imagine, you imagine walking down the path. He probably looked at a house and like, you know, I could probably get that house, right? I mean, I can imagine he probably lusted after, what could I buy with this? And what does he do? He goes to the religious leaders. He betrays Jesus. He gets the 30 pieces of Silver and today's money that's about twelve to fifteen thousand dollars. That's not very much, is it? What could buy you with twelve to fifteen thousand dollars? I mean, maybe a small car, small boat, 
I don't know, maybe a trip to Europe or something. And I don't know what could buy, what he could have bought with that. Maybe he could have bought some land or built a house, maybe a new horse, probably a Mustang. <laughs> but that dark night, he got his money in hand to try to fill the void of his life, right? And he didn't get it. He didn't fulfill, didn't fulfill that desire in his heart that he longed for, that only God could fill. He tried to make up for his greed by taking that money and trying to give it back, right? Oh, maybe if I make up for this, maybe I can seek forgiveness. Maybe I, that's not true repentance. In despair, he proved his heart was not truly repentant and believing, and he went out and he killed himself. And so you can sit here and you can hear the word and you can say amen, right? But you may not be living in the light of eternity, You may be living for the things around you. Maybe you dream of things. Maybe you dream of having the bigger house, right, with the money. And it's not bad to have things. It's not bad to have a big house, right? But if you seek joy and fulfillment in those things, it's choking your spiritual life. I was talking to a, a young person this past week about the gospel, and I was standing out here talking about uh, the good news of Jesus and just going through the gospel with him. And actually a couple of people I talked to this week out here and use this illustration, but I, I don't know if you go out there, you remember this telephone wire that runs out here. And I pointed to the end of the building here where the telephone wire comes out. And I said, you know, you see that the end of the building, right? There's a little knob on the end of the building where the wire comes out and that wire comes out and it keeps going and seamlessly, seemingly endlessly, like it just keeps going. Right. And I said, that little knob is kind of like your life. You have what? Another 20, 30, 40, 50 years left of your life, depending on how old you are. And then your life ends and you spend eternity somewhere and it keeps going on and on and on and on. And I asked this person the question, when you're right down here on the telephone wire, right, of life, eternity, millions of years, what would you wish was different about your life? That little knob, right? That's living in light of eternity, It's not living for the things now, but living for Christ and finding fulfillment and joy in him. We must live a single focus life pursuing Jesus by faith. Maybe this is the condition of your heart in here this morning. Maybe you've heard God's word, right? And you realize, though, in your heart, you're seeking temporal things and distracting you. And I think this can even be as Christians, right? That's why we need to be constantly pulling out the, these desires and these lusts of our heart, right? And, and focusing upon God's word. And then the last heart is the heart that's faith-filled. Faith-filled. Verse 20. But those were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it, bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So the picture here is good soil, right? That receives the seed, the seed germinates, the roots go down, the stem goes up, and then fruit is produced, which is the whole point of having a seed, right? So the seed gives life to the soil. The soil is the picture of a person who listens to God's word. And in fact, remember, every one of these different hearts listen to God's word, but they didn't just listen. This one doesn't just listen to God's word. This one's different in that it responds by what? Verse, verse 20 says, it accepts the word, right? It believes the word. And not just in knowledge, but in active 
faith, with genuine repentance and faith. So this heart is humble, with true repentance. It sees it sees its sin. Like this is a person who sees their sin. They actually believe in contrast to the other hearts who maybe pretend or maybe reject God. So what is a heart that pursues God and genuinely turns to God in faith? What is it like? What's well, a heart, first of all, that prays for understanding, right? In contrast with the hard heart. The hard heart says, no God for me. I'm going to live how I want. And this heart actually says, God, help me to understand who I am, right? It's a heart that when life gets hard, when rejection comes, this person endures. They still trust God. Like they still are are turning from their sinful desires and their sinful lusts, and they're continuing in faith. It's a heart, unlike the distracted heart, it has an eternal perspective. It continues to reject the love of money, but turns into the love of of an eternal God. And it's also a heart that bears fruit. Look at verse 20. It says, Good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and do what? They bear fruit. 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. What's Jesus talking about? Like, what's the fruit he's talking about here? Well, I'm not going to have time to go through all this, but let me just briefly say, John the Baptist preached, and he said, what? Bear fruits of Repentance. So the idea is if your heart is truly repentant, if you're truly going to believe in God, like it's going to be evident in your life, right? It's fruit that results from repentance and faith. John 15, Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. You can have no spiritual fruit in your life if I'm not the one that you're abiding in and I'm not the one doing it through you. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, we, we find the fruits of the Spirit. So a person who walks with Jesus and loves Jesus, a person who's in relationship with Jesus Christ on a daily basis, there's going to be fruit that comes out in their life, and it's going to look like love. It's going to look like joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And, and notice in verse 30 what kind, of, um, what kind of harvest they have. It says 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And you might be thinking, what does that even mean? Well, in the first century farmers, the most they could probably hope for was about 8-fold return. Maybe 10-fold would be awesome. So when you look at 30 and 60 and 100, what you're looking at is supernatural. In other words, it's like it's unbelievable what God can do in and through your life. In other words, when you repent and you believe and you live a life of repentance and belief in Jesus Christ, God can do amazing, supernatural things through you. When you turn to Christ in repentance and faith and continue to live like that, God produces in you unbelievable fruit. It's like this. It's the fruit that you can have someone who is close to you, maybe a best friend. They can stab you in the back. They can try to ruin your life. And you choose to respond in love. Like you choose the fruit through the grace of God, to pray for that person and to have a heart that's open to forgiveness. It's, it's the kind of fruit that can produce in a marriage that's on the brink of divorce, that is constantly in conflict, but they turn to Christ and repentance and faith, and their marriage begins to be restored. It's a, it's a person who can be an addict and is lusting for the next fix, right? But as God works in their heart, They found the fruit of freedom from drugs and freedom to passionately pursue Jesus and spread the gospel. It's a a fruit that can be produced in someone that's like maybe a teenager who's an angry, angry teenager. And they turn to Christ in repentance and faith and they surrender to the Lord and they become a peacemaker. And actually, it's interesting. All these individuals I described here are people who have stood on our stage in the past couple weeks. 
people who have been saved by Jesus. Maybe they can give their testimony sometime. The point is this, is God can do some amazing things through your life as you respond to his word. But the question is, what kind of heart do you have? Is your heart hard to his word? Are you indifferent? Or maybe your heart's just distracted, right? You have a lust for so many things. Or, or maybe your heart needs faith, needs repentance and faith. Would you bow your head with me? God's word has gone forth this morning. What's your response to his word? At the beginning of my message, I asked you to pray and ask the Lord to search your heart. What did God show you? What kind of heart do you have? Maybe you're a person in here today and you say, you know what? I know I'm not truly a Christian. I'm not living a life of repentance and faith. Let me invite you to come to Christ this morning. Maybe you're a Christian in here and you say, you know what? I, I know that by God's grace, I am living a life of repentance and faith. But there's some of those things you talked about today I'm kind of struggling with. Well, the blessing of being a child of God is you can just go to him. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the life giving nature of your word. We're thankful for the spirit who can come within us. And as we respond to your work, respond to what Jesus has done for us, God, you can make us your children. You give us new life. You regenerate our souls. And thank you for that. I can imagine though there's some one, maybe a couple people standing or sitting before me this morning, listening to me pray and their, and their heart wrestling with you. And God, I pray that their hard heart will break, that the, the, that the deceitfulness of riches will be exposed. God, I pray they'll come to you. And God, I pray for our church. We want to be people who are fruitful. We can't do it on our own. By this, our Father is glorified, that we bear much fruit. And we can only do it in relationship with you. So God, I pray, will you help us as individuals, help us as a church to bear the fruits of repentance and, and faith and God to see your fruitful work in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.